If you have your Bibles, open it to Acts chapter 17. We're continuing our series and who we are. Today we're going to be looking at what it is we do, the things that we do that make us who we are. Now, we've, we've done two of these studies. We talked about first about how we think, how we are to be mindful of the things that God does. And we are believing that God is real and that he really interacts with us and that he speaks to those who have faith in him and our ears need to be tuned to him so that we can hear what he has to say. But for that to happen, we have to be mindful of him, that our thoughts are on him throughout our life. It's a sad thing to think that a lot of people come to church on a Sunday and they talk about God and the rest of the week, he's not a part of their conversation or thoughts at all. What a tragic thing that would be. And we talked about how we are not that way. We have this dynamic relationship that's interactive where we are able not only to speak to God, but to hear what he speaks to us. We also talked about what we believe, and this wasn't a matter of doctrinal things, but it was about our identity. We believe that we are all the children of God, that we have been made that because of what Jesus has done. We also talked about our responsibility, that as children we are now heirs and joint heirs, that we are ambassadors, we represent Jesus, that we are called Christians, we are like him and that we are his workmanship created for good works. That is our responsibility. And then we talked about our availability, that we would step into those works that God has for us. Today I'm going to talk about, well, what does that look like? How do we step into those works that God has for us? And, you know, maybe one of the ways we could find out how we step into those works is to first talk about maybe what we don't do. What we don't do, and what we don't do is we don't pitch Jesus. Okay, we don't try and sell Jesus. What do I mean by that? Let me think if there's an illustration I can think of where the idea of pitching Jesus comes to mind, maybe something recently that we've heard about, uh, you know, where it just seems that there's this propaganda of what it means to pitch Jesus. I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of anything. <laughs> of course, the recent events, and, and it's amazing how much publicity this event had, where this pastor and his group, I don't know how large a group they are, but they predicted that the end of the world was yesterday, that the rapture of the church was going to take place. And it didn't. And once again, it puts us into this light where, you know, in all actuality, these people are, you know, my sisters and my brothers, but oh, brother, um, what's going on? And your heart goes out because that lady had to drive that car today, you know? <laughs> and, and you just wonder. But what we don't do is... Try and sell Jesus. We're not out to try and pitch something. We're not here to make something spectacular. We're not here to try and sell people on what we believe. 
That's not what we do. And there are a number of ways that we can be involved with people. And there are a number of things that have taken place throughout the ages that help people in communicating their faith with others. But one of the things at Genesis we want this to be is very organic, very natural. This is something that should spring up from within us. And so our examples are those things that we see in Scripture, how we see Jesus interacting with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, or Zacchaeus, or even the Pharisees, or the multitudes that were there gathered around him, how he engaged them, how he talked to them in stories, parables. And he interacted with them in a way that is very natural, and we see that taking place even here in Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 16. And I have to say that this passage of Scripture has been one that has been very controversial. There are theologians who don't understand what Paul is doing and disagree with what Paul is doing. There are some people who said Paul was wrong in how he did these things here. And they go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he talks to the Corinthians and he says, when I came to you, I didn't seek to come to you with the wisdom of men, but just to preach Christ crucified. And that trip to the Corinthian church was immediately after what happened here in Athens. And they say, see, Paul was wrong in Athens and he changed the error of his ways and he started ministering to the Corinthian church the way he's supposed to be. But what I find interesting with that interpretation, this is a little sidebar here, is all the things that people use to interpret Scripture are basically thrown out in order to take on that kind of view. In other words, we have to presume that Paul was wrong. You don't get that from either this passage in Acts 17 or in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He doesn't say, I was wrong, I'm repenting of my ways. You have to presume that. And so you're not taking what is in the passage contextually. You're bringing what you think into the passage and then making a judgment of that. What Paul did here in chapter 17, he also did in chapter 14 of Acts, but they don't talk about that because it's not talked about as in depth. I throw that out to say that I think we're on dangerous ground when we start presuming what the scriptures say based on what we already believe. I think the reason that this passage is so difficult is because it challenges our traditions. And it challenges us to step into areas that we are uncomfortable with, as we're going to see. And so in verse 16 of chapter 17, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Paul is here in Athens, the epicenter of human wisdom, of all the great philosophers, Aristotle, adopted home of Plato, Socrates. This is where the human wisdom was at its zenith, named after the goddess Athena. He's going to later go to Mars Hill, named after the god of war in the mythology. And so he's in this foreign territory. And as he sees all these idols there, he's distressed. 
It's bothering him to see people worshiping what is not true. And here we see motivation. What motivated Paul to do the things he did wasn't because he wanted to make a name for himself. All right, here I am. I'm in Athens. I'm going to make a name for myself. I'm going to get these people on the right track. I'm going to show them. What motivated Paul was distress for their situation. And that's what's supposed to motivate us, is concern for people. Not because we want to prove ourselves right, want to prove them wrong, because we care. And so Paul goes there and he's distressed with all the things that he sees. And it says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Now, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's not where the problem is. You see, I don't think the synagogue had a problem with idols. Most synagogues don't. Nor do the God-fearing Greeks, what they're talking about, those Greeks who believe in the traditions of the Hebrew people, the God of Israel. And so he goes there and he starts reasoning with them there, but that's not really where the problem is. But that's what Paul is used to doing. That's his epicenter kind of starting point. And so he goes to what he's familiar with, starting at those things. But then we see that he moves on from there. He moves on to this place and he says that he reasoned with the synagogue and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And now we see that Paul is branching out and he's moving to another place. Paul was called to the Gentile people. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul was called to this group of people. That's why he was distressed. That's why it bothered him. You'll find that many times when you are moved towards something, that it is because God has put a passion in your heart. God has motivated you to be moved in that way. If you see, like they are doing at the family center, young girls who are pregnant and single and in distress, and your heart is moved for them, well, maybe God is moving you just like he did Paul. Paul was distressing their condition. Maybe you're distressing people in their condition and you're moved to step into their lives. But what Paul did is not stay in the place where he was familiar, the synagogue and the God-fearing Greeks. He went into the marketplace. And you see, I think what happens to us many times as followers of Christ, we don't like to leave the comfort of the church. And so we meet on Sundays, but we really don't want to go out in the, par the marketplace. We don't really want to go and interact with those who are out there. We just want to interact with those who we're familiar with, those who believe like we believe, because it's dangerous out there. And so we do everything to isolate ourselves. We have our own concerts. We have our own schools. We have our own bookstores. We have our own little society, our own radio stations, our own, you name it. We, we want to seclude ourselves so that we 
don't have to go out into the marketplace. But what if we all adapted this ratio that Paul did? One day in the synagogue, one day with the believers, those who you know, and then six days out in the marketplace. What would happen if we had that mentality and stopped doing this little, I don't know what you'd call it, comforting ourselves with our own people, identifying just with ourselves. See, Paul stepped out into this area, into the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there, just dialoguing with people who happened to be there. And you'll find that people are really willing to talk with you, but they're not really willing to be talked at. I've found it really easy to dialogue with people, but when I come with an agenda, people aren't real open to talking. I remember I was with someone and we were just out in the city and we were going to go out to eat. And we go out and I'm just, you know, ready to go out to eat. But he had his Bible. It's like, what are you doing, man? What, you carry your Bible? Yeah, I carry it with me everywhere. And I'm like, okay. What do you do when you see someone, you're at a restaurant and someone comes walking in with the Bible and wants to talk to you? I don't know about you, but I get a little like, whoa, this guy's got a Bible. Or here, I want to give you something. And I start giving you my speech. This is what you need. This is what you have to do. I don't dialogue with you. I basically am selling you, pitching you what I want. I have found that many people are close to that. Now, I'm not going to say everybody is close to that or that God doesn't use things like that because God does. But at Genesis, one of the things that we're trying to do is not come across as selling Jesus but come across as followers of Christ who will talk to you about what you believe and about what we believe, that we will listen. You see, that word dialogue means that it was happening both ways. He, he wasn't just giving to them, but he was also receiving from them those things. In verse 18, it says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute him. That means they had input. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Now, this is amazing because Paul is probably the greatest voice to the Gentile world that Christianity has known, and they thought he was a babbler. They're like, we don't understand. Now, why was that? Because Paul is bringing to them something new something they hadn't heard before. So this was something that they were intrigued about. Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Yeah, foreign to them. Natural to Paul. And you see, we need to understand that too, that when we bring our faith to many people, it is foreign. And we act as if it's natural. When we went to Wales... Everyone had an accent. No, we had the accent. People would come up to say, oh, I love your accent. We'd be like, what accent? <laughs> You're all the ones with the accent. We were foreign. 
And so many times we don't recognize that when we bring our faith to someone that it comes across as foreign. We think that we have what is natural, what is normal to them, and we don't recognize that it's coming across as foreign, and they think that we're babbling. Think about this. How many people who don't have faith in Christ know what the rapture is? If they've never been to church and you say, oh, the rapture's coming, what do they think? I remember Blondie had a song about rapture in the 80s, but I don't think it was about Jesus coming back. What, what are they supposed to think? You're babbling. But it's on the news. And I wonder how many people hear this, well, the rapture was supposed to come, and they're like, the what? The rapture? What is that? And we act as if everyone should know what the rapture is. And the truth is, we live in a time in a society where there's a great many of people who don't know. And so we can't assume that people have that knowledge. We can't assume that people believe what we believe. We can't assume that people think that the scriptures are the holy words of God, the revelation of God to mankind. We can't assume that. And if we do assume that, we're going to come across as babbling. If you come to someone who doesn't believe in the scriptures and you say, well, the Bible says, and they say, I don't believe the Bible. Well, but the Bible says, well, I don't believe in the Bible. Okay, but the Bible says. (laughs) How do you get past that hurdle if that's all you can do is talk about what you believe you come across as babbling. You see, and Jesus said in Matthew 10 that we are to be shrewd as serpents. We are to be thoughtful. We are to be thinking about how we can do these things but be harmless as doves. And I think that's exactly what we see taking place here with Paul in this passage. Paul is being shrewd. Some of the things that Paul says in these verses just are overwhelmingly filled with, I believe, the wisdom of God. And that's why it bothers me that people will discredit this because they have to throw out something that I think is so important to how we do what it is we do. Going on, it says, verse 19, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So they bring Paul here, and I got to, man, what is going through Paul's mind? They're wanting to hear what I have to say. This is something new. This is my opportunity to take the Christ, the Messiah of God, to the world, just like Jesus said. This is my opportunity to make him known. How am I going to do it? Where am I going to start? How am I going to present who he is to these people who have no idea of his history? all the things that God has done in the past. How am I going to bring this out to them? 
And he goes in verse 22, then he stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now remember, he was distressed, right? He was bothered. But he doesn't say, men of Athens, you are a bunch of idolaters. But don't you get the idea that that's what we do so many times? We want to point out what the people, men of San Francisco, people of Las Vegas, I can see that you're a bunch of sinners. And instead he says, I see that you're very religious. We need to be careful that we do not overlook that people, even though they are misguided and misled, are still seeking. And people are so desperate to find God that they will worship a piece of wood that they have created because they are trying to find the Creator. And instead of just blasting them, do you see what this represents? They are searching, just like you and I at one time were searching. And Paul starts with their searching. You're religious. And he meets them at a place that they can identify. I can see you're very religious in verse 23. It says, For I, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. They worshipped everything, and just in case they'd forgotten one, they made a God that's unknown. In case we don't know who he is, we'll worship the unknown God. And listen to what he says, because it is just... One of these sayings, it it reminds me of Jesus' words when Jesus said, when they gave him the coin, should, you know, we pay tribute to Caesar. And he said, whose inscription is on the coin? They said, Caesar. He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God. It's one of those kinds of moments. And he goes, now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. What you don't know This statue that you've set up that you don't know, I'm going to proclaim that God to you. You see, what Paul is doing is meeting them where they already are. Because God is already there. Do you remember when Peter spoke up? Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And some said, oh, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. They're saying, you're in a good crowd, Jesus. You're you're with a good group of people. They think you're someone good. You're the prophet. And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And you know, Peter's going to speak whether he knows or not. He's going to say something. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he can't even take credit for that because immediately Jesus says, Peter, Simon, son of Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You see, God was already ministering the truth to Peter. God was already there in the conversation. And Paul is telling them, God is here and he's working among you. You just don't know it. You don't know who he is. And 
I think that there are a lot of people that are in that situation where they believe in God. They will say, I'm spiritual. But they don't know what that's about. And so they'll believe in Jesus. They'll believe in Buddha. They'll believe in all. They'll take a little smorgasbord of everything, try and make their own belief system. And we look at that and we say, oh, man, you know, look at that's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. But do you see they're searching? Do you see that they want to believe in something? And so what we want to do is what Paul is doing here. It's come alongside and reveal the God that they don't know. Not preach at them, but reveal to them. And that's exactly what Paul starts to do. Verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in the temple built by hands. The God who made heaven and the earth. What's interesting about this passage of Scripture is Paul doesn't start with the Bible. He doesn't quote from Genesis but he reveals the truth of Genesis. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Isn't that what Paul just said? But he doesn't say, in Genesis, the Bible says, he starts with the truth, but he doesn't block the truth with something that's going to hinder them from receiving it. And I think what happens to us many times is we block the ability of God to work by throwing in things that people are going to struggle against. You see, if Paul would have said, well, in the scriptures it says, they would have said, what scriptures? What are you talking about? We don't believe those scriptures. And the same thing happens so many times with us. We'll say, well, the Bible says, and they say, well, I don't really read the Bible. I don't believe in the Bible. You, you don't have to quote chapter and verse to proclaim the truths that are in Scripture. In fact, sometimes it's good not to quote chapter and verse, but to still proclaim the truths that are in Scripture. Because sometimes, well, in John it says, or in Revelation it says, and someone's going to stop and they go, I don't get that. I don't believe that. I'm not on the same page as you. Now, the opportunity will come where you can say God has revealed these things and given us the scripture. We believe this. But I want you to notice that this, and as well as chapter 14 of Acts, Paul does not use the scripture. But he presents the truth of scripture. That's real important. I'm not going against the Bible. Don't say Sam's against the Bible. I'm not. I want you to see the wisdom of God. Jesus didn't go around teaching the Old Testament. He went around telling the truths of the Old Testament in parables. Why did he teach in parables? Because they could understand it. Why is Paul talking to them this way? Because they can understand it. Do we care if people understand it? Or do we want to stand on, I'm standing on my beliefs. And I'm going to carry my Bible into the store even though it's just a pick and save. That's right, I got my Bible. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
okay, buddy, thank you. You know, and above you is a sign that says, keep away. Because you're coming across as foreign. I want you to see where Paul is at here and how he presents these things because it's pretty amazing. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. You will not carve any graven images. You will not worship those things. See what Paul is doing? He's proclaiming all the truths of Scripture. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God breathed and made man a living soul. You see what Paul is doing? He's declaring them the creation story and they're understanding it. Verse 20, from one man, we know it's Adam, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. And what Paul is saying here is every person was born in a place that is optimum for them to find out who God is everywhere in the world. And it doesn't matter if you were born in Athens or Jerusalem. You were born in that place so that God could have a conversation with you. Now, this is something that's sometimes difficult to understand. We think, well, no, if God wanted everyone to find out who Jesus was, they should be born in the United States where, you know, we talk about Christ more than in Afghanistan. But the truth is, God has placed everyone in the world where they need to be so he could reveal himself to them. Think about that. I remember I had kind of a realization of this one time when we were in Wales about five years ago, and a friend Joe and I were walking to meet the group that was there, and as we were walking, we hit a group of people and we started talking to them. And I remember this passage, and I remember telling them, you know, isn't it an amazing thing that we are from California walking through in the middle of this little town square that we would start talking to you about God? Do you think that perhaps God has designed this opportunity so that these people from California would fly over here, be walking through, and just happen to talk to you to tell you that God is looking for you? That God knows you, he loves you, that he would send someone from across the world just to make this truth known to you. And this is just because you were born for this purpose, for this place, so that God could reveal himself to you because he cares for you that much. I remember one of the girls started tearing up and she just started crying. The thought that God would do this would reach out for me and find me even though Someone was distant, and I just happened to be here. That's exactly what God is doing. He's orchestrating these things. He's setting the stage for each one of us and each person in the world so that we could best come to know who he is and find him. God did so, verse 27, so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far 
from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And this is where Paul now starts quoting their prophets, their philosophers, the people they identify to bring in the truth of who God is. It's like you're a fish in the water and you don't realize the water is all around you. God is around you and you just don't know he is there, but he is Your own prophets declare these things. And his own prophets, he's talking about Zeus. He's talking about these false gods. Why would Paul quote these people? Because they understood these people. And from these people, he could take them to a revelation of the true and living God. Now, this is where... I want to make the point. We need to think about what's really important. What's important? What are we trying to do as ambassadors of Jesus Christ? What are we trying to do as Christians, people who represent Christ? We're trying to lead people into this relationship of who Jesus is. That is our desire. That is our goal. How we do that can vary. It's going to vary depending on who we talk to. And if we get so caught up in our traditions and how we do things, we are going to lose opportunity of taking this incredible news to people who are hungry just because we don't do it this way. I remember when I was a teenager and I was listening to music. I grew up in Led Zeppelin, Beatles, Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, get an amen, you know, or lighter at least, you know. (laughs) That's what I grew up listening to. And I remember the adults would listen to that music and go, oh man, how can you listen to that garbage? They like Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. I did it my way. Oh man, I can't handle that stuff. Give me that, you know, that's what I want. As I started getting older, my kids started listening to music. Like, what is that? That's music. That ain't music. This is music. Listen to this. And each generation has their voice. And it resonates with them. And just like our parents didn't understand our music. Oh man, no, I love this song. It just, it moves me. What's it about? I don't know. (laughs) But I like it. It just makes me feel good. You ask kids, what's this music about? I don't know, but I like it. I like this one part where he says this. How did you know he said that? see, they can hear the voice. When you like something, you develop an ear for it. And just like the music was something we identified with and music is something they identify with, we need to recognize that happens with our conversation with people and how we communicate with people. And some people, you start talking to them and say, I don't relate to that when Paul started using their philosophers, 
They said, I understand him. I, I know that. Huh, I never looked at it that way. Do you realize music today is philosophy for most young people? Do you realize that there are so many things in the lyrics of music today, from Nine Inch Nails to Johnny Cash, who actually sing the same song sometimes, that you can utilize that people will understand? But you know what? You would have to listen to it, wouldn't you? You would have to know what it says, which means Paul read this stuff. Paul went around and studied the people he was going to be communicating with. He went around and was in the marketplace talking with them. He was identifying with them so that that voice could come up with him and I could say, I know where you guys are at. Now I can talk to you. But we don't want to go there. I don't want to read that stuff. I don't want to listen to that stuff. I don't want to know what they're... Have no thing with the unclean world. No, get away, get away. It's unclean. How are you going to reach them if you will not understand where they are at? But we'll just stay in our little Christian bubble. We'll listen to our Christian music. We'll read our Christian books. Watch our Christian programs on TV. If there are any, I don't know. There probably is, but I don't want to know where they are, okay? TV, the things you watch, are a starting point of communication with people. Now, of course, there are boundaries in these things. Of course, we guard our hearts in these things. Of course, there are things that you can't go into that are too far over the line. But you need to know what people are involved in. Paul did. Do we? And this is one of the reasons we are doing the things that we are doing, like the soul cravings. If you don't know, these booklets are in the back and they're available for you free. We ask for a $5 donation, but we don't know if you give $5 or not. We, we don't really care. We want you to take these and give them away. We bought a bunch of them for you to do that because this is going along with what we're talking about right now. Identifying with people, read this, and then give it to someone and say, tell me what you think, and start a conversation. You'll be amazed at where you start as opposed to, you know, I'm going to give you the... Romans Road. You know, turn with me to Romans chapter 3. I don't have a Bible. Well, let me read it to you then. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, thank you, you know. <laughs> and we can do that. We go to family, you know. We, we go to a family Thanksgiving and you take your Bible there. Let me share with you the Romans Road. The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, Okay. Would you like some wine? You know, I mean, where are you coming from if you don't start in a place where you can dialogue with them? But if you say, hey, have you ever felt like your life was created for a purpose? Well, yeah, I have felt that. Just think where you've started. And you see, what Paul is doing here is starting where God is at already in this culture. And that's why he is the apostle to the Gentiles is because God gave him the wisdom to be able to minister the truth of who Jesus is to people who had no idea. And that's exactly what he does. In verse 29, he says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. What do they have? All these idols that are made out of what? Probably gold, silver, and stone. See what he's doing? He's taking the long way home. He's coming around the back door. He, he's letting them know that ain't right. 
But he's not saying, hey, you guys are a bunch of idolaters. He's coming at a place where they start to think, huh, maybe you've got something there. An image made by man's design and skill. Verse 30 says, In the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. Now he brings in Jesus. Then they heard about, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. You're always going to have people who sneer. You're always going to have people say, I don't want any part of that. You can't get everybody. You can't make someone believe in God. You cannot do that. It's like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. You can't make someone believe in God. Some people are not going to believe. They're going to sneer. But do you see what Paul did? Some said, I want to hear more. In a culture that hadn't heard anything of who Jesus was, some wanted to hear more. And so we want to hear you again on this subject. Verse 33, at that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Now, when you step out of your comfort zone, you are going to encounter people that you're not used to. And that's going to stir up things with the other people. It did with the apostles in Jerusalem. The Gentiles? You see... These people that Paul mentions here at the end who became followers. I have to open it because I don't remember their names. By, I'd say I'm wrong. Dionysius. Dionysius was a god of wine and drunkenness. So this guy is named after a god of drunkenness. Not to be outdone, Damaris was a god of fertility. Now what happens when you bring in a person who's named after a god of drunkenness and a woman who's named after the god of fertility into your church group. Well, you see the Sauls and the Bartholomews and the Peters and the Judes and these people are going to say, I don't know if I want my kid hanging out with the god of drunkenness's son. Honey, stay away from that woman who's named after the god of fertility. I don't want you talking to her. She doesn't dress like us. People are going to be a little bit taken back when you start bringing in people who are not accustomed. It's one of the reasons I, I love our young adults group is we got a lot of people who aren't used to being at church and our conversations are very real. And if someone comes in and they're like, well, we don't talk about those things usually at church. Well, maybe you should. Because this is the conversation where we're at. These are the things that we're talking about. And if you reach out for these people, you're going to upset other people. You know, Erwin McManus said that I would rather alienate a thousand angry Christians for the privilege of journeying with one to Christ. And that's what we're about. 
is journeying with people to Christ, to lead them to a place where their lives can be transformed by the living God and how we can do that. But you know what? In, in this recent just situation with the news, the talk about the end of the world, if you go into the Christian bookstores, you would think we are just a bunch of unhappy mushrooms. I mean, we've got books about self-help to get your life together. We've got books about the Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast, Armageddon. I mean, the Bible, there's probably about this much on all those things. But we've got shelves. We've got more things in the Scripture. John doesn't even know about the things that we have there. If he read those things, he'd say, wow, I never knew that. I mean, we are so enamored with these things. And while we're focusing on when is Jesus going to come back, when is this going to happen, there are a lot of people who just do not connect to us at all, who we are not reaching at all. And they look at us and they say, you guys are a bunch of babblers. You're foreigners. You don't talk my language. You don't believe what I believe. You don't even know where I'm at. You don't care about me. You're just trying to sell me Jesus. And we're not reaching them. We have to bring the truth of who Christ is into a place where they will understand and be able to see them. To do that, we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. To do that, we need to get out of our little Christian bubbles and take a step out into the streets and start having some real conversations. We maybe have to read some things that they're reading. We maybe have to listen to some things that they're listening to. Maybe watch some things that they're watching. I'm not advocating you just throw out abandon or discretion. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to be tuned to the living God and to the people you're trying to communicate to. You need to go and spend six days out in the marketplace listening, observing, and your heart needs to be distressed for the condition of the people in this world and where they're at without God because they will worship a piece of stone because they are desperate to worship something but have no idea what it is they're worshiping. And we have the opportunity to reveal the true and living God to these people who are as lost as lost can be. Are we willing to take the time and effort to do that? That's who we are. That's the identity we want to have here at Genesis. This is how we are doing these things. We are never going to have a convention that promotes the last days. If you want to go to one, that's fine. You can go to it. That's not who we are. I believe in the eminent return of Jesus Christ. He is coming. But that's different than the immediate return. I don't know when he's coming. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I'm not focused on the end. I'm focused on these people and reaching them. You guys, we need to get the focus right because we'll spend a whole lot of energy talking about these, trying to get people to come over here, but that's not the focus. Most of the time Jesus talked about the end times is because they asked him, when's the end going to be? Okay, I'll give it to you, sort of. Give you enough information to know. Let's focus on the people. Let's keep our minds on Christ, our ears tuned to him. 
That's who, how we think. We think and are mindful of God. Let's remember who we are. We are his children. We are his ambassadors. We are available for his use. How are we going to do that? We are going to go into the marketplace. We are going to go to the family foothill sh- sh- center. We are going to go into the marketplace and do things that hopefully we can identify with the people and bring Christ to them in a conversation that they understand. And we should have what's in here, in here. We should have what's in here, in here. We should be able to do what Paul did, recite the scriptures in a way that these people can understand. You don't need to say Bible verse and chapter all the time. Sometimes it's great, but sometimes you just need to be able to declare the truth of God in a way that people understand. That doesn't turn them off, that they don't think you're foreign, that they can identify with, and from that place you can lead them into Christ. I don't know if you can tell, but this is a chapter that I like and a passion that I have in this area. You can't convince someone into God but you can reveal God so that they can understand him. And that's what we want to do. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that you would bring clarity to the words that I have said, that there would be no misunderstanding, Lord, that I am not talking about straying from the truths of Scripture. Lord, I'm talking about taking the, the truth and heart of Scripture and taking it to the people just like you did, Jesus, just like Paul did. The examples that we see here are for our learning. May we put aside our traditions, the way we've been told, if the way we've been told is not with the truth that we see revealed in your words. God, may we be willing to leave the comfort of our quote, synagogues, our, quote, church buildings, our gatherings, and step into the marketplace and start dialoguing with people. May we learn how to converse with people in a way that doesn't seem like we're babbling, in a way that doesn't come across as foreign. May we learn how to dialogue with the wisdom, shrewdness of a serpent, but with the heart and harmlessness of a dove. Jesus, may we be like you. The religious people didn't like you, but the sinners felt very comfortable with you. God, is that the case with us or is it the opposite? Are we making ourselves out to be alien, foreign, unreal to the world around us because of our man-made traditions. God, keep us from that, I pray. And help us to step into these things in Jesus' name. Amen.